Thank you. That's a beautiful song. Looking forward to having that as part of our experience of the Easter season. Um, it's hard to believe we're there already. It's just snuck up on us. It's still winter. All right, you're going to need Bibles this morning as we continue our series in the book of Psalms. So get your Bibles out, open up your Bible apps. And if you do not have a Bible, just put your hand up. And our ushers are coming around. They have Bibles, and you can grab one that you can follow along in. I'll let you know where we're going. And if you do not have a Bible of your own and you're receiving one of these, please keep it and take it with you. Um, there's so much in here. Okay, once in a while, not very often, but once in a while, it's good to start your day with confession. And so that's what I'm going to do as we start our look at today's psalm, Psalm 128. Uh, we've been walking an ancient path with God's people from long, long ago. There's a series of psalms that the people of Israel sang on their annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. They did this three times a year, and some still do. They're called the Songs of Ascents, and are made up of Psalms 120 to 134. So let me tell you something about my experience with the book of Psalms years ago. And this goes way back to when I first entered college, my first year out of high school. And so I attended a Bible college in Canada called Canadian Bible College, nicknamed Canadian Bridal College. Um, I entered that year with no small amount of fear because I was not known for my academic prowess. Um, I barely made it through high school, squeaked through. And my first year of college made all those fears a realization as I struggled my way through my first semester at Bible school. Passing that semester came down to passing the final exam for a class called Old Testament Survey. And so my roommate Clayton and I stayed up all night the night before studying. He was concerned about me and so he quizzed me and I quizzed him and we really worked on getting it down. We had exactly the same preparation going into the final exam the next day. Clayton's grade on the final exam was 95%. My grade was 45%. I failed the class, and I was put on academic probation for the second semester at Bible college, where my dad had gone. Gives you a lot of confidence in me as I teach up here, doesn't it? <laughs> and just so you know, when I was back at Bible college, a different school... Years later, God's timing, not my timing, I actually made the dean's list for my academic achievements. And so God does this. This is not what I did. It was God. But one of the requirements for academic probation that year was for me to drop a few credits so that I could handle the load, which meant I wouldn't get all my credits. But I had to drop something, and the school made the mistake of allowing me to choose which class I would drop. And, a further mistake by the school, they allowed me to pick up a one-credit class, an elective, that carries less of a credit load in place of the class I dropped. And so I picked up a Christian camping class, um, which quickly became my favorite class. <laughs> and I dropped a course that intimidated me beyond belief. Having failed Old Testament survey, it was a no-brainer for me to drop an upcoming required core class that was called Old Testament Wisdom Literature. Now, in the Bible, there's a collection of books referred to as Wisdom Literature. These books include the books of Job, 
Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. What makes wisdom literature wisdom literature is the purpose of the writing in these books. These writings provide us with wisdom for living. These books provide guidance for us to live well according to God's design for our lives. Now there's debate over which Psalms actually do this and which ones don't, but it is widely agreed upon that Psalms 127 that Peter covered last week and 128 today's both meet the requirements to be considered wisdom literature. And the man standing before you this morning would like to now teach you about something that falls into the curriculum of a class that he dropped in Bible school because he failed his first semester. <laughs> and I tell you that with a smile on my face and, and lightness in my heart because I have for many, many years now considered myself, like many of you, a student of God's word. I take very seriously any and every opportunity to dig into the Bible, and I have done so in a wide variety of ways, from formal college classes to seminars and conferences and all kinds of informal study. There is a common thread that ties one, Psalm 127 to Psalm 128, it's a pattern in wisdom literature. Psalm 127 verse 5 says, Blessed is the man who... And Psalm 128 verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who... And these writings often highlight the two sides of God's covenant relationship with his people. His part and our part. And we'll see the themes of blessing and the fear of the Lord, which are two common themes in wisdom literature. So let's go to today's psalm, Psalm 128. 128. This is what this amazing psalm says. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So here we go, singing this psalm. As we're walking up the road to Jerusalem, the word that I want us to focus on this morning is blessed. The word blessed. We see this amazing word four times in our psalm, just in this one psalm. This is a word that seems to be gaining popularity these days. More and more professional athletes and other celebrities are making statements about being blessed. I'm blessed. I feel blessed. Blessed is taking the, in, taking the place of the word lucky for many. And I fear that it's going to lose some of its meaning and importance because of this. The word blessed is often defined simply with the word happy. And this is certainly true. But I see a lot more depth to the definition of blessed. Blessing someone means to pronounce good things upon the recipient. To pronounce good things upon the recipient. That's included in the act of blessing. Happiness certainly comes through having good things pronounced on you. Blessing also includes a sense of increasing or making abundant it's a building up or causing abundance to happen. And so the word blessed has some depth to it. 
And I think we need to know that and to use this word thoughtfully. Let's use this word in a way that truly honors its significance. You'll see that as we go along. The Bible is filled with blessing. God blesses us. We bless him. Think he increases and we decrease. That's blessing God. We're also directed to bless others, to bless each other and the people around us. We find blessing in the Bible right off the bat. In Genesis 1.28, God creates Adam and Eve, and then he immediately blesses them, and he directs them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Even before that, God blesses the animals he created, before humans even existed. In Genesis 17, Abram receives God's blessing, and on it goes. The word shows up in the Bible almost 500 times. And in just the Psalms alone, it's there over a hundred times. It's an important word. God's desire is to pronounce good things upon us, upon his creation. His desire is that we increase in life. Jesus brought us abundant life, an incredible blessing. He wants us to prosper, his definition of prosper. And so he blesses. So now let's build some context around that word from our psalm, from Psalm 128. Verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Wisdom literature does this. Shows us how life works. Fear the Lord, walk in his ways, and you will be blessed. Let's clarify what fear is. In this context, fear means reverence. It means deep respect. We're to respect God deeply. We're to honor him above all else. We're to express gratitude. We're to obey him. And this all comes through our actions and our attitudes. It's to be a part of who we are. We're also to walk in his ways. We're to choose his will over our own will. What is his way? Well, let's listen to Jesus say, I am the way. Proverbs 3, 5 tells us to trust in the Lord with everything we've got and he will make our path straight. He will show us his way. This blessing comes when we live in a deep state of respect for God and we yoke ourselves to Jesus and his way. It leads to God pronouncing good things on us. And we have to always remember that we live in a covenant relationship with God. We contribute to that relationship. We live and act intentionally with the mindset that we give to God. We don't just receive from God. In this example, we treat God with deep respect and we walk in his way. And he faithfully carries out his part of the covenant relationship He blesses us as promised, not out of obligation, out of love. Because remember, this is a relationship. So what does this particular blessing look like? Well, last week we saw the blessing of children. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with children. Um, I am personally about to shoot two of my arrows off into the world. Um, My two, Two of my sons are seniors this year, and away we go. Psalm 128 continues using the analogy of family, and we're going to unpack that in a few minutes. 
But verse 2 then says this, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Back to our definition of blessed. Abundance is part of what it means to be blessed. Reverence for God and surrender to his ways, it's our side of the relationship, aligns with God's provision for us and the blessing of seeing the fruit of a life surrendered to God. It shall be well with you, speaks of that peace, that shalom that God provides for us, that wellness. Okay, so is that just biblical support for a prosperity gospel where we jump through the right performance hoops, performance hoops, and God makes us rich? Not at all, from what I can see. I think we need to reclaim the word prosperity. God's desire for us is that it shall be well with us. That's what he wants. But God's version of our wellness doesn't exactly align with the American dream version of wellness. I want life to be well with me. And here's the cool thing. It is. Has God made me prosper with financial wealth, power, status, and bundles of worldly pleasures? Well, not according to the American dream. No. And I truly don't care that he hasn't. Has God made me prosper as I grow in my reverence for him and follow Jesus down God's path? Yes, he has abundantly. Think about what we've already sung together this morning. We told God that he has done great things, and he has. We declared that there are 10,000 reasons for our heart to find, to praise God. They're everywhere. We sang of his grace and how indebted we are to him. We stated that we can give God endless praise for his faithfulness. Every week, as we declare through song all that God has done for us, how he's caused us to prosper, he has blessed us and he is blessing us every day. God said it shall be well with us and it is as we fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Okay, back to the picture of family as God's blessing. I want you to keep this in mind as we look at the next two verses. God often speaks in terms that are relevant to the context, context in which the words of the Bible were written. For example, Jesus used fishing and farming analogies a lot. Why? Well, because he was speaking into a specific cultural setting. He used word pictures that his audience could connect with. And they did. The Hebrew audience that this psalm was written for connected instantly with the idea of family and blessing. And these words even combine family images and agricultural images. And so the psalm states that as you fear the Lord and walk in his ways, your wife will become like a fruitful vine in your home. Now let's back up from there in history to God's blessing of Abraham. God promises blessing to Abraham in the form of offspring. Lots and lots and lots of offspring. 
In our own psalm, we see a picture of a family that is fruitful and multiplies. The wife produces fruit babies, and that table surrounded by little olive tree seedlings, a promise of great future increase. It's quite a picture, isn't it? I'm going to put a picture up on the screen right now of an olive tree. And if you look at the base of the olive tree, you see those little shoots coming out of it, right? This is how olive trees reproduce themselves. Little shoots come up from the base, and they become independent, productive trees themselves. This is how it happens. Now, my family is a blessing to me, and I'm incredibly grateful for my family. But honestly, my three sons do not bring to mind the image of an olive tree and little shoots around the base of the tree for me, okay? Even though I'm into agriculture, that's not exactly how I see my boys around the table. It's more like vultures around a recent kill. Right, now, I have a warning for us. Are we to read this psalm as a statement that God's blessing for his creation is measured by the number of kids we have? No, I don't think we are. I think that would be missing the point. The family image used here is one expression of God proclaiming good things upon his creation, his children, members of his kingdom. This is a picture of increase and abundance. The point is, as I see it, that God blesses us with increase, abundance, and good things, and those things take on many different forms. I think it's critical for us to understand this word blessed, and so I'm going to briefly unpack one well-known passage of scripture that expands on this picture of blessing. I think our lives will be different if we truly get how central blessing is to our covenant relationship with God, both for us as individuals and in the relationship that we as God's church have with him. So turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We're going to listen to Jesus for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 10. This is what Jesus said is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to extensively explore the meaning and origins of the word used to describe our part in the covenant relationship with God. I've I've done that in the past when we studied this incredible passage together. Today, I want to just draw attention to how we are blessed. Jesus says, the poor in spirit become heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn receive the blessing of comfort. The meek inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Those who offer mercy will receive mercy. 
The pure in heart will see God. Peacemakers will receive the title of children of God. And even those who become victims of persecution will be blessed by receiving the kingdom of heaven. We are blessed. God blesses us in the relationship that we share with him. And there are many passages in the Bible that describe the exchanges that take place in this relationship. And it's worth every minute that we spend exploring God's design for our relationship with him. Today's psalm is just one piece of the picture that we've been given. And that picture is a picture of God's pronouncement of good things on us and the abundance and increase that he has in mind for us. Verse 4 in Psalm 128 says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The whole Bible says to us, Thus shall we be blessed if we live in deep reverence and love for God and we surrender ourselves to his will and his ways. We will be blessed. We are blessed. Verses 5 and 6 provide us with a great model of how we take the blessings we've received and are receiving and extend that to others. I think there's something for us to learn here. These are the words that pronounce good things on God's people. It says, the Lord bless you from Zion. May God give you good things from his kingdom, not from the world, from God's eternal kingdom. And it says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May God bring increase and abundance from his kingdom throughout your life and into eternity. Not the prosperity of an earthly kingdom, the prosperity of God's kingdom. And it says, may you see your children's children. May your future be certain as it rests and remains in God's hands. Not our will, but his will be done. And may his eternal plan be fulfilled in the lives of future generations. And finally, a great statement pronouncing God's goodness. Peace be upon Israel. May it be well with God's people, with God's kingdom. God is the source of all we need to be well. Peace, wellness, wholeness, abundance, increase, and God's good things be upon God's people. We're going to end our time together this morning by singing an old song called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. This song is a great expression of our covenant relationship with the Lord. We revere God. We trust in him. We take him at his word. We rest on his promises. We walk in his ways. We cease from sin and self. And we receive his blessing, life and rest and joy and peace. That's what we're going to sing together. In Chapel Hill, there's one final well-known blessing that I want to declare over you as I close. Church, you, you are blessed. We are blessed. God pronounces good things like this on his family, on us. This is from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to to 26. And it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you 
be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we take a moment now this morning just to pause and say thank you. Um, thank you, Father, for inviting us into a covenant relationship with you. Thank you for blessing us so faithfully and in so many ways. And I pray, Father, that you would expand our understanding what it means to be blessed. First, so that we can see just how devoted you are to this relationship. How many ways in which you bless us on a daily basis. So that we can turn around and out of love and gratitude do our part in the relationship. Have deep reverence and love for you. Follow your ways. Be peacemakers. Be meek. Seek righteousness. And I ask that for every single one of us, you would help us to deepen this relationship, this covenant relationship that we have with you. Help us to be aware of it more, to be active in it more, to be conscious of what it is we're receiving from you on a daily basis, to respond to you in love and carry out our side of this relationship. Thank you for wanting this closeness with us. We don't deserve it. Yet you invite us to come to be in relationship with you and not just to know you, but to know you deeply, to be connected to you, to be one with you. So God, help us to fully embrace, embrace this idea of being blessed especially as we go into Holy Week, into celebration of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. How can we not see blessing all over it? Thank you for teaching us, for being patient with us, for growing us up and transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Thank you for blessing us, for pouring out good things on us, making us increase or bringing abundance into our lives. We praise you for this. We bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son.